Hi, this is Hannah Langdell and Nick Olick, Duke Plastic Surgery residents with The Resident Review, a plastic surgery podcast. Today, we'll be continuing our quick hit series and discussing flaps. So Nick, do you want to get us started? Let's do it. So flaps, our favorite topic in plastic surgery. Uh, So a flap is a unit of tissue that maintains its own blood supply while being transferred from a donor to a recipient site. And this is compared to a graft, which relies on the recipient site's blood supply to survive. There's a lot of different ways you can classify flaps. Um, We'll go through a few of them. Uh, So the first is vascularity. So we can talk about random pattern flaps, and this is a flap based on the subdermal plexus. And for these, you want to maintain a length to width ratio of three to one. You also have an axial pattern flap, and this is based on a name vessel along the longitudinal axis of the flap. You can also do a reverse flow axial flap. This is where the uh, source vessel is divided proximally, and this flap is perfused via retrograde flow. Another way that we commonly talk about flaps and define flaps is flap composition. So things like muscle flaps, myocutaneous, fascia, fascia cutaneous, or even some of the more uh, new and, and fancy flaps like superficial or skin only flaps, and also things like uh, vascularized bone flaps. So there's a, a lot of different classification systems for each of these different components, but one that we are extremely commonly tested on is the Matheson high muscle flap uh, classification. So we'll go through this briefly. Type one flaps have a single dominant pedicle. Uh, and this, these include uh, the tensor fasciolata flap, gastroc flap, to name a few. Type two flaps have a dominant pedicle and minor uh, secondary pedicles. And the important distinction here is that the flap cannot survive on the minor pedicle alone. So this includes the gracilis flap, the soleus flap, the trapezius flap, and the biceps femoris. Type three flaps have two dominant pedicles. And we think about the gluteus maximus um, and the rectus abdominis uh, most frequently. Type four flaps have segmental vascular pedicles, and the most common muscle that is tested for this is the sartorius flap. And type five flaps um, have a single dominant pedicle and multiple segmental uh, pedicles as well. And this is kind of to contrast with that type two flap. These type five flaps can survive on that secondary segmental pedicles. And this, we commonly think about the latissimus or the uh, pec flap. We can also classify flaps based on movement. Um, So we talk about advancement flaps like V to Y's, rotational flaps, or transposition flaps like a Z-plasty. Z-plasty is an area we are commonly tested on, and this is a transposition flap based on a random pattern blood supply, so off the subdermal plexus. This is most commonly used to address scar contracture. So the design for this flap is a central limb that is drawn parallel to the line of maximal tension and subsequent limbs that are drawn anywhere from 30 to 90 degrees off of this limb. And one of the the most frequent ways we're tested on this is the gain of length in terms of percentage that you can get at the different angles that you draw off these uh, off that central limb. So for a Z-plasty based on 30 degree limbs, you get a 25% gain in length. 45 degrees gives you 50% gain. 60 degrees gives you 75% gain. 75 degrees gives you 100% gain. And 90 degrees gives you 125% gain. So that comes up over and over on these questions, just something you kind of have to commit to memory um, prior to the exam. Uh, We also can talk about 
In another way, we classify flaps are local flaps, regional or pedicle flaps, and distant or free flaps. And just to wrap up this section, um, something we've tested on before are the difference between pre-laminated and prefabricated flaps. So a pre-laminated flap is an axial flap that is modified with the addition of various grafts like skin, mucosa, cartilage, or bone grafts, um, recreating the missing tissues at the donor site prior to flap transfer. And a prefabricated flap is created by transferring a vascular pedicle into an area of tissue that's ideal for transfer in order to induce angiogenesis. And then uh, the flap is then transferred uh, subsequently. Uh, so that's kind of a summary of classifications of flaps and some things we're commonly tested on. Um, Hannah, you want to start talking about some specific flaps? Yes. So we will kind of work our way head to toe on uh, some common flaps and topics that show up on the in-service. So we will start with the head and scalp. The first flap that we'll discuss is the temporoparietal fascial flap. And this is supplied by the superficial temporal artery. This is a very thin flap and it's very useful re for reconstruction over tendons in the hand or foot. For scalp reconstruction, exposed calvarium necessitates flap coverage uh, as opposed to a skin graft. So you can perform a single stage reconstruction with a free flap, and this is preferred for patients that will need post-operative radiation. Uh, common free flaps used for scalp reconstruction include the ALT or the latissimus. Large scalp advancement flaps should be left and allowed to heal. For posterior scalp wounds, you can perform a rotational flap that may cover up to six centimeters, and you can additionally perform relaxing incisions in the galea to increase the uh, amount of rotation. The tissue expansion can cover up to 50% of the scalp, and importantly, it might be tempting to excise dog ears on the scalp, but you should just let these heal and they will resolve over time. So next we'll talk about upper extremity flaps. The lateral arm flap is a test favorite and you can refer to our Flapcast uh, podcast if you'd like additional information about the lateral arm flap. This is a fasciocutaneous flap for small to medium sized soft tissue defects of the hand, forearm, elbow. That is a free flap uh, for the head and neck. The dominant pedicle is the posterior radial collateral artery, which is a branch of the off the profunda. And this vessel runs in the intermuscular septum between the lateral triceps and the brachialis. This can also be used as a reverse flap via the radial recurrent artery. So it can be turned to reach uh, posterior elbow defects. So importantly, the antegrade normal flap is based off the posterior radial collateral artery and the reverse is based off the radial recurrent. This can also be um, neurotized via the posterior brachial cutaneous nerve. One of the advantages of this flap is that as opposed to the radial forearm flap, you do not often need a, a skin graft to close this donor site. So the medial arm flap, um, which we actually tried one here recently at Duke, is based off the superior ulnar collateral artery However, this is um, a fairly unreliable flap and is therefore rarely used. The posterior interosseous flap, the blood supply is the posterior interosseous artery. This is a pedicled flap often used for coverage of the dorsal wrist or first web space. The PIA uh, courses between the ECU and EDM, and it can be um, based off the anterior 
uh, interosseous artery for a reversed flap. The anterior interosseous artery courses between FTP and FPL. So the radial forearm free flap is uh, one of the workhorse flaps in plastic surgery. The blood supply, of course, is the radial artery, and this is found between the brachioradialis and FCR. And of course, very important to perform an Allen's test prior to selecting this flap to make sure that the hand is well perfused after you take the radial artery. You can also use this as a reverse flap uh, to cover dorsal hand or finger defects. The brachioradialis flap is based off the radial recurrent artery. This is used for defects of the anterior elbow. Nick, do you want to pick up from here and uh, talk about some of the trunk flaps? Yeah, sounds good. Let's start uh, posterior. Um, we have the trapezius muscle flap, and this is good for posterior neck wound coverage. The dominant blood supply to this muscle is the transverse cervical artery. Um, this will supply the middle and lower trapezial flaps. You can also have the superior part of the muscle that's supplied by the occipital artery, and this can supply the upper trapezius flap. The latissimus is another workhorse flap in plastic surgery. It's a very large muscle. It's great for coverage of scalp defects um, with the addition of a skin graft on top. Chest wall reconstruction, particularly after radiation or osteonecrosis, um, using breast reconstruction, lower extremity, upper extremity. Um, it's, it's really a workhorse flap, workhorse flap of plastic surgery. There's a type five muscle flap with the dominant blood supply being the thoracodorsal artery. And secondary, uh, the segmental pedicles being from the thoracic and lumbar perforators. Uh, and you can use this as a, a turnover flap based on these secondary pedicles, which we've, we've done relatively recently at Duke was a really cool case. Um, something we've been tested on prior is that for a uh, T10 defect um, of the posterior trunk, you can use the latissimus flap because the trapezius flap will not reach this. Uh, for these, next we have the scapula and the parascapular flaps. This is used in head and neck reconstruction, um, it can be used as a secondary option for bony reconstruction if the fibula is not available. Both of these flaps are supplied by the subscapular system and branches of the circumflex scapular artery with the parascapular flap supplied by the descending branch of the circumflex scapular artery and the scapula flap supplied by the transverse branch. This can be an osseous, osteocutaneous, uh, or even can have a chimeric flap based off this system where you include the latissimus, the serratus, or even a Tdap. You identify the pedicle for these flaps in the triangular space, and this is made up of the borders of this space are the tricep, the teres major, and the teres minor. Another flap is the serratus anterior, and this is also supplied by the subscapular system, specifically the serratus branch of the subscapular artery. The muscle originates at the lateral scapula and inserts on the first nine ribs, and four to five attachments need to be preserved in order to prevent winging of the scapula after harvest of this flap. And this can be used as a functional muscle flap if you harvest the long thoracic nerve. Going uh, to the anterior side of the trunk, we have the pectoralis major muscle flap. And this is the predominant blood supply is the thoracoacromial artery. We also have secondary blood supply from the lateral thoracic artery and the IMA perforators. The thoracoacromial artery enters the muscle on its underside, approximately the junction of the second and third third of the clavicle. So when you're dissecting uh, and elevating this flap, you know, remember that the, you're going to see the pedicle on the underside of the flap. So the top of the flap is safe. Um, this is commonly used for sternal reconstruction. It can be used as a turnover flap where you divide that thoracocromial artery and kind of flip things over based on the IMA perforators, or you can uh, do the opposite and rotate it based on the thoracocromial artery. Moving on to the abdomen, we have the rectus abdominis, rectus abdominis muscle. This is a type three muscle flap with two dominant pedicles the superior inferior epigastric arteries. There's many indications for this flap. Um, 
we think about using it as a VRAM or a vertical rectus abdominis uh, myocutaneous flap for perineal reconstruction after APR can go the other way for external defects or as a uh, tram or a transverse rectus abdominis muscle flap. And this is a classic autologous option for breast reconstruction, um, which is largely been supplanted by the deep, but is still used uh, occasionally. We have the omental flap and the most common use for this flap is the for sternal or chest wall reconstruction. And this is based on the right and left gastroepiploic arteries. We don't typically think about these vessels. We're usually you know, uh, above the fascia, but this is one case we have to think about this blood supply. Um, in order to increase the length of this flap, um, you can base it off just a single one of these vessels and typically it's the right gastroepiploic artery. Uh, moving down a little more inferiorly, we have the iliac crest flap, and this is a bony flap based on the deep circumflex iliac artery, which is a branch of the external iliac. And this vessel runs between the transversalis fascia and the transverse abdominis. You can actually get a six to 12 meter skin paddle associated with a very large bone segment up to 14 to 16 centimeters. Next, we have the gluteal flap, and the gluteus maximus is a type three flap supplied by the superior and inferior gluteal arteries. Uh, the superior gluteal artery is a branch off the internal iliac and exits above the piriformis, while the inferior gluteal artery exits below the piriformis. So you can use this muscle flap uh, for a rotational flap for pressure sores. Um, you can use it as an advancement flap. And you also raise perforator flaps um, based off either of these vessels, which we call the S gap or the I gap. Um, importantly, when you're using this as a rotational flap for a uh, pressure sore, uh, there's a benefit to a gluteal flap because they can be reused or re-advanced if there is an area of dehiscence, which uh, these wounds are at high risk for. And lastly, for our posterior trunk, we have our paraspinous flaps, which are a kind of a workhorse for uh, spine uh, spinal wound reconstruction. And this is supplied by the posterior intercostal arteries. Hannah, you want to take them here with lower extremity? Yes. So we're going to start off with the sartorius flap. And as Nick mentioned at the beginning of our podcast, this is a type four flap, meaning that it has multiple segmental pedicles from the superficial femoral artery. And this is most commonly used for groin reconstruction. And because of its segmental blood supply, it is very difficult to kill this flap. So it's a pretty low risk flap to elevate. Uh, so a groin flap has an axial pattern uh, blood supply from the superficial circumflex iliac artery. Uh, for the design, it is designed parallel and three centimeters inferior to the inguinal ligament. And you can have the width of the flap up to six to 10 centimeters. And the classic indication for this is dorsal hand or wrist defects um, and is an alternative to a free flap. So the gracilis flap is a thin, flat muscle that originates from the pubic symphysis and inserts on the medial tibial condyle. It can be used as a pedicled flap for abdominal, perineal, or groin wound coverage. And as a free flap, it is most commonly known for a functional muscle transfer. It is a type 2 muscle flap. The medial femoral circumflex blood supply is the dominant blood supply. And it courses between the adductor longus and brevis, and the secondary pedicle are perforating branches off the SFA. And the obturator nerve is used for motor innovation for this flap. The TFL, tensor fasciolata flap, is a type 1 muscle flap supplied by the ascending branch of the lateral femoral circumflex artery. This can be used for reconstruction of greater trochanter pressure ulcers. So the ALT, this is one of the other workhorse flaps in plastic surgery. And this is 
can be first line for coverage of really defects head to toe. You can harvest up to a 35 by 25 centimeter flap. And this is based off the descending branch of the lateral circumflex and its perforating branches. The pedicle lies between the rectus femoris and the vastus lateralis. And the perforators can either be musculocutaneous, uh, running through the vastus, or septocutaneous. You can use the lateral circumflex femoral, femoral artery system to raise a chimeric flap by taking some of the vastus, uh, the ALT skin paddle, and even iliac crest bone graft. The next flap is the rectus femoris, and this is also based off the lateral femoral circumflex artery. Um, use of this muscle will cause somewhat of a decrease in knee extension. And you'll notice afterwards that patients can have up to a 15 degree extensor lag of the knee. The gastrocnemius flap is supplied by the medial and lateral sural arteries respectively. And this is a pedicled flap uh, that provides coverage for knee injuries. Most commonly we use the medial gastroc because it has a greater arc of rotation and the use of the lateral gastroc flap does carry a risk of injury to the common perineal nerve. The soleus flap is a type three flap and it is supplied by the popliteal artery proximally, the perineal artery for the mid portion of the flap and the posterior tibial artery distally. And the classic indication for this flap is reconstruction of the middle third of the leg. The reverse sural artery flap, this is an in-service favorite. So this is a distally based fasciocutaneous or adipofascial flap that is used for distal third lower extremity coverage as an alternative to free flaps. So the blood supply is perforators from the perineal artery that are found approximately five to seven centimeters proximal to the lateral malleolus. The lesser saphenous vein and the sural nerve run uh, within this area and should be included within the flap. Uh, this flap is at very high risk for venous congestion, and so you should uh, have caution in patients with venous hypertension, and it is possible that you may need to use leeches as, as part of the postoperative uh, course for these patients. The MFC, or the medial femoral condyle flap, is often used as a bone flap for scaphoid nonunion uh, reconstruction. The blood supply for this flap is the descending genicular artery, and it can also be supplied by the superior genicular artery. And again, we have a nice uh, flap cast uh, podcast if you'd like to hear more about this flap. The medial sural artery perforator flap, or the MSAP, the sural artery perforators arrive from the popliteal vessels. It is a fasciocutaneous flap used for head and neck reconstruction or hand and lower extremity defects. The perforator is found along a line connecting the mid popliteal area to the medial malleolus at about the eight centimeter mark from the proximal end of this line. The fibula free flap is uh, probably the workhorse flap for bony reconstruction, all areas of the body, but most commonly used for mandibular reconstruction. The pedicle is the perineal artery, and this pedicle is very closely associated with the FHL and the deep posterior compartment. So I would say most surgeons probably sacrifice this muscle as part of the flap, but it's possible to leave a cuff as well. You must preserve at least six centimeters of bone, uh, both proximally and distally. Proximally, you want to protect the common perineal nerve, and then distally, you leave this portion of bone to avoid ankle destabilization. Uh, next is the medial plantar artery flap, or the instep 
uh, flap, and this is another in-service favorite, and it's used for planter reconstruction. And probably the most high-yield fact is that this is supplied by the medial plantar artery, which is a branch of the posterior tibial artery. And the pedicle lies between the abductor hallucis and the flexor digitorum brevis. Lastly, we have the lateral calcaneal flap. And this is an axial pattern flap based on the lateral calcaneal artery, which is a branch of the perineal artery. And this is used for lateral distal third defects of the ankle. Well, that was kind of a head to toe review of some of the most commonly used flaps in plastic surgery. And again, we have lots of information in the podcast if you want to hear uh, more details about any of those flaps. But thanks for joining us. Thanks so much. As a plastic surgeon with a unique vision for each patient, the more options you have at your fingertips, the better. Natrell is one of the portfolios available to you. To learn more, visit natrellsurgeon.com.